World Football in Qatar is the podcast taking you behind the scenes with all 32 teams at the World Cup. We're hearing from the players, the fans and people in Qatar, telling the truly global story of the competition. That's World Football in Qatar from the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Hello and namaste. I'm Devina Gupta and you're with World Business Report on BBC World Service. On the show, Moldova's Deputy Prime Minister Andres Peno joins us on the World Business Report to talk about energy shortage in his country. We bought wood and coal uh, in the state reserve, so to be ready to, to provide in the case. Biodiversity funding, that's what officials are debating at the United Nations Summit in Canada. Will there be a deal? And Nigeria's latest TikTok craze, Invisible Challenge, has quote-unquote hidden naked truths. All of that and more to come on World Business Report. Now let's get started with our first story. If you're living in the European Union... Are you conscious about turning the heat down this year? Latest data by analytics company ICIS indicates many are, which has resulted in a fall in demand for gas in the European Union, and that even as temperatures dip. So the data shows that in November, there was a 24% drop in demand for gas in the European Union. So what's leading this change? Simone Talia Petarana is a research fellow at the Bruegel think tank in Brussels. Belgium has more. Well, there are several uh, elements at work. On the one hand, uh, there is certainly lower gas uh, consumption in the industry, which is partially due to a reduction in certain industrial productions due to the very high gas prices, but on the other, also due to more efficiency in the utilization of gas and certainly also fewer switching. So creating alternatives not to use gas and to use other forms of energy. We also see a reduction in the power generation sector. So basically countries are ramping up alternative solutions, also coal in the short term. And uh, finally, the residential sector. Families are more cautious about the way they uh, use gas at home, namely for the eating. So do we see the reduction in demand also impacting the energy prices? Absolutely, yes. The sharp drop in gas price in Europe after August was also due to a combination of factors, namely the market seeing a sharp gas demand reduction, the storages being basically full, and of course, a very warm fall season, which we have experienced in the last uh, couple of months. Well, I was about to ask you this as well, Simone, that warm autumn has been one of the contributing factors for reduction in uh, the gas demand, especially from the household. Is there enough inventory? to meet this increase in demand, which will happen in the winter months? Yes. So the demand for gas will certainly increase in the residential sector during the winter because families will need to warm up the apartments, right? So this will certainly happen. The question is how much families will manage to keep the thermostat a couple of degrees Celsius lower than what they used to do 
in the previous years. And I think an important element will be to see the weather conditions, namely towards the end of the winter. For example, in the months of February and March, when it is very delicate to operate with the gas storages, because as the storages utilization goes on and the storages get slower, the withdrawal rate, the withdrawal speed from the storages diminishes. So that's when we might have some problems in the system. In any case, families have been feeling the the impact of high prices. And of course, the more all of us will manage to make a reduced utilization of gas and electricity, the better it will be for energy bills. Can I ask you what you are doing to save energy, Simone? Because yes. uh, in Japan, for example, there was this suggestion made by one of the government officials, wear turtleneck sweaters if you want to stay warm this winter. But that's for sure. And uh, of course... Are you I wearing turtleneck sweaters? What, what I'm currently doing, I have to say, at home and, and also in the office is certainly that. And, uh, you know, I... I um, I'm frequently in Brussels uh, this period and when I visit also, for example, the offices of the European Commission, I really see everybody uh, dressed up uh, in order to, to be warmer because the offices are pretty cold there because uh, uh, namely the European Commission tries to keep uh, the uh, temperatures of the offices uh, uh, lower, not to consume energy as a sign also of solidarity in all these situations and that's exactly what we should all be doing. Uh, but Simone, uh, does this also then make a case for those companies that were forced to shut down, especially in the chemical and fertilizer sector because they're energy intensive. Is there a case that they could look at reopening as there is an overall reduction in demand for gas? Yes, that is exactly the case. After the uh, price, uh, the gas price drop after the month of August, the peak in August, several factories have been reopening in Europe. So that is certainly something that can help the industry to uh, weather, you know, to to navigate these very difficult waters we are in. So even as Simol Talia Petra sticks to his turtleneck sweaters, to do his bit to conserve energy in Brussels and Belgium. Demand for energy is falling in European Union, according to the study. But for over 2 million people in the European country, Moldova, living with acute energy shortage has become a tough reality. That is from a protest in October in Moldova when citizens were voicing their anger over high energy prices on the streets. From last month, several cities are also now experiencing long power outages, leaving them in the dark in cold winters. That's because there is a sudden shortage of gas. Moldova's energy systems are interconnected with Ukraine and it is heavily dependent on Russian state-owned energy giant Gazprom that has reportedly reduced gas exports to the country. Earlier, I spoke with Andres Pinu, Moldova's deputy prime minister, who has been busy trying to secure financial aid to resolve energy crisis for his people. We have around gas for two months. Our kind of difficult situation is about the price of uh, energy, both gas and electricity. Uh, for a country with a low-income uh, population, these uh, uh, prices are quite big. And uh, sometimes they, uh, they are so big that cannot cover uh, the capacity of uh, people to, to pay the bills. How much is the difference in the price 
of energy in Moldova compared to a year ago? Uh, if we uh, compare the gas price, it's almost eight times. And electricity, it's almost uh, four times. What's the impact that you see of this energy poverty on the most vulnerable of your population? It's uh, kind of it's a quite direct impact because uh, the, uh, the purchasing power for other products and services is dropping dramatically. And we are giving compensation in the bills. But then these compensations in the bill are quite huge comparing to the budget of Moldova. And it's creating an impact on our capacity as a state to do development programs like building roads, infrastructure and so on. Now, you're buying most of your electricity from the European spot market, which is almost four times the previous price. Could you tell us how much that is costing the government and what's the provision in your annual budget for it? Just a few days ago, we committed a new contract with MGRES, which is the power plant in the Transnistria region. So in case Gazprom will decide to cut off uh, the full supply of gas to, to Moldova, then of course this contract will not be able to, to be supported by, by MGRES. Uh, in any case, if uh, we'll start to buy again uh, electricity from the spot market, we'll have a, again an increase of four to six times of the tariff for the electricity, which will have a huge impact, not just on the budget, but on households, on the economy, on the macroeconomics indicators and so on. As you negotiate going ahead this winter for more energy resources, what's the plan to run critical infrastructure like hospitals? We already started uh, like immediately after the war, uh, started in Ukraine to to buy and uh, have uh, generators firstly to hospitals then to police offices uh, airports and so on because and we bought wood and coal uh, in the state reserve so to be ready to to provide in the case and also we are trying to find uh, long term bilateral contracts on electricity with Romania and other european union countries Minister, you talked about European Union, which has recently pledged about 250 million euros as part of aid to Moldova. But this financial support also comes with a rider of 20% budgetary support, 40% loans, and the rest is grant. What's the plan of repaying these loans? Is there a danger of Moldova being pushed under higher debt? Okay, <laughs> this question, it's better to be asked for Ministry of Finance. Uh, but uh, as uh, far as I'm uh, aware, we have enough budget space for this situation. But again, the situation can get worse in uh, a situation where prices will uh, go even even higher. Are Moldovians looking at more blackouts in the coming months? Would there be no choice but to cut energy in certain areas? Uh, Again, it also depends on the war in Ukraine and the situation. We don't know, but we are preparing for the worse. That was Andres Bunu, Deputy Minister of Moldova. Now, as countries struggle for energy security, many are now going back to polluting fossil fuel power generation at the cost of environment and biodiversity. And that is a part of discussion which at COP15 is underway in Canada. It's a gathering of almost 190 countries. There are over 20,000 delegates there. It's also known as the United Nations Biodiversity Conference. 
And as these leaders gather, here's the UN General Secretary Antonio Guterres with a stark warning. Ecosystems have become placings of profit. With our bottomless appetite for unchecked and unequal economic growth, humanity has become a weapon of mass extinction. We are treating nature like a toilet. And ultimately, we are committing suicide by proxy. Strong words there from the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres. We have now our guest, Sophie Lawrence, who's joining us. She's an expert in biodiversity finance at Rothbone Green Bank Investment. So, Sophie, thank you for being with us. We've been talking about energy and energy security in this program till now. And uh, just this evening, the news came that the UK will have its first new coal mine uh, in 30 years. Now, when you're looking at countries trying to revert to fossil fuel for its energy security, primarily in this kind of economic environment, where do you think the biodiversity conservation and funding comes in? Will that be a priority, especially in this COP15? Hi, Davina. Great to be chatting with you. And, you know, stark words indeed from Antonio Guterres that you played uh, just then. And really, I think, you know, it has to be. Um, Finance is often the Achilles heel when we come together as as global nations to to look at treaties like the the Global Biodiversity Framework, which is trying to be agreed during these two weeks. Um, And it's absolutely crucial if we are going to achieve ambitious biodiversity targets to have the appropriate finance in place. And I think that's both from the public finance side. So that's really important. Um, and the ability there to be be able to provide finance as well to lower income countries from from higher income countries. But then also so important is the private finance. Um, And that's really where where I sit in my kind of experience is. um, And it's absolutely vital that we scale up private finance. But do you see that, Sophie, that even private businesses are now pledging towards biodiversity financing? There is a big gap at the moment. So if we look at the business side, um, we are starting to engage much more actively as investors with the holdings that that we have. Um, and it, it isn't encouraging so far. We're often uh, the first investor to have, have that conversation. I think it's fair to say that that, that nature and biodiversity has been um, less well understood as a risk by businesses. Um, and interestingly, the World Benchmarking Alliance recently put out their nature benchmark, which looked at the world's most influential companies and their efforts to protect our environment and biodiversity. And they found that only 5% of those 400 companies were assessing how their operations impact nature and biodiversity. Wow. Um, I mean, so really that's stark, a low yeah. number. But is that it's conversation really changing? And what will it take for this conversation to change? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think one thing that is fair to say, you know, businesses do do experience those, um, you know, risks and they have a significant impact on biodiversity. They're also really dependent on it, but they cannot work in isolation. This is about civil society. This is about investors putting more pressure on, on those companies. But also, and this is why COP15 is so important, it is vital that we have well-designed regulation that is going to create a level playing field for companies. So often in our work, when we're engaging, we we see those leading companies take the steps to address sustainability challenges like this. But to move the laggards and the business community at scale, we really need clear regulation. So when I say that, it's kind of disclosure requirements, it's 
you know, stricter rules on the use of specific land areas, it's subsidy reforms. And as you said in your remarks, you know, the, the decision today is, is not the, the, the best step uh, to forward on. Of on, course, on more needs regard. to be done. But Sophie Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us on this one. Canada, meanwhile, has pledged about $250 million at this summit. We'll be tracking it closely. And for more, we have Olivia with us in the studio. Olivia, first to Nigeria then, where the central bank is imposing more restrictions. Yes, that's right. So Nigeria's central bank are limiting weekly cash withdrawals to 100,000 Nigerian naira. That's 225 US dollars um, as part of a new policy. Um, it used to be 2.5 million naira. Um, that's 5,638 US dollars. Now for businesses, the weekly limit has been cut to 500,000 naira, um, 1,128 US dollars. So a lot of Nigerians don't have bank accounts and use informal markets where cash is preferred. And the central bank of Nigeria said that the move aims to bring more people into the banking system and will take effect um, in the new year on the 9th of January. Well, can I ask you about riding in a robo-taxi? We've seen some development there, some way towards the future. Yes, that's right. And and it could be um, in the future pretty soon. That's because the US company Uber has combined forces with driverless tech maker Motion. Um, in, in, to launch their public robo-taxi service in Las Vegas today um, as part of a non-exclusive 10-year agreement between both companies f- for driverless vehicles with a rollout in LA expected to follow. Well, are you looking forward to it, Olivia? I mean, I don't know if I would personally feel safe just yet riding a robo-taxi, but um, we'll find out. All right. Thanks so much. I wouldn't mind it, actually, you know, given the strikes and the trains and the buses. Well, I would would beat my driving. I've just learned to drive. So, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, look out for the fuel prices there. But let's get to Susan Schmidt, who's head of public equity from the state of Wisconsin Investment Board to talk more about markets. And Susan, we started this program talking about energy. Olivia and I were just talking about fuel prices as well. Could you give us a quick check on oil stocks today? Oil stocks today were their usual volatile self. We're seeing quite a bit of movement in oil stocks in general over this year. Of course, they started out the year very strong, and we've watched oil stocks move with oil prices. It's one of the, I think, most emotional segments of the market, as those stocks really do move off the changes in oil prices. And obviously, that crunch, as you mentioned, of energy supply in Europe is causing quite constraint on the markets and people are seeing that pressure. The offset there is that the investors also know that economies are slowing and therefore the demand for fuel and oil and energy is not going to be as great as it would be otherwise. And uh, was there any sentiment change when China announced that it's lifting its most severe COVID policies, including forcing people into quarantine camps after the protests in the country? Were there any sentiment change that you noticed with investors on the Wall Street? Investors take everything China does now with, I think, a grain of salt, and they're watching and waiting to see. There's a lot of attention paid to China's overall economy. And China's policy changes here should impact the economy and how quickly they can resume back to GDP growth and at what level. That's where investors are focused. We didn't see any significant change that you could relate to today and tie together, but certainly investors are always watching that Chinese economy to see what's going on and waiting for the government to then dictate specific numbers for the 2023-2024 targets. Of course, um, Hang Seng and Shanghai in their indices discounted this. But let's talk about the biggest story on the Wall Street today. I think it has to be Caravana, Susan, because the used car company in the U.S. had 
about 40% stock drop. Right. And that is understandable when you look at used car pricing. So Carvana, a really novel concept, online retailer of used cars. That worked great when we were in the pandemic and people were stuck at home, couldn't go out. But we've seen a reversion to a normal market now. And unfortunately, when we had the pandemic, People wanted to exchange autos, get new cars. Everyone was driving. Public transportation was not something people were engaging in. And therefore, car prices went very high, and we had a shortage of cars in the market. That meant that those used car prices also were very high. Those used car prices are falling now. So Carvana has a lot of inventory that it paid for at much higher prices than what it will be able to sell it at. And today we saw that reaction in the stock market as the Carvana creditors announced that they had gotten together to work together should the company dissolve or have to go into insolvency. And so there's concern that Carvana won't be able to survive this as a business and We'll have to file for bankruptcy and have some hmm. restructuring. Well, another stock that has caught my attention is Amazon because there was a report that uh, the Attorney General of Washington, D.C., Carl Racine, is suing Amazon for allegedly stealing tips from drivers. Well, he's accused that the company is diverting tips to increase profits rather than giving more money to employees. We are waiting a statement from Amazon on this. But uh, what do you see on the on the Wall Street today on this one? This is a non-event for Wall Street. So at the same time, we just saw that the Pentagon has awarded uh, a cloud project and that Amazon is one of the winners of that cloud project as well. So we see a lot of this where government uh, agencies are trying to use Amazon and some of these big tech companies as, uh, as scapegoats or going out and attracting attention. Certainly, This is of interest, but it isn't Mm. a big issue for investors and they're passing it by. Amazon has made a comment on this already saying that these are issues that have long been resolved and stem from four years ago and that this has already been resolved in payments that were made last year and that their policy has changed, therefore no longer applicable. But again, big tech companies are subject to this right now. And we are seeing, as we've seen over the last couple of years, governments, whether it be our U.S. Congress people, or whether it be, in this case, the mayor of Washington, D.C., coming out and filing cases like this to attract attention. Well, thanks, Susan, for your perspective on these stories. And thanks for tracking the markets. Uh, We connect with you soon again. But thanks for joining us for this edition of the World Business Report. Now going from one tech company to another, which is TikTok, and this time in Nigeria, where the telecommunications agency in Nigeria has warned that a new TikTok trend called the Invisible Challenge, could expose devices to malware. To know more about this challenge, we have our correspondent Ishak Khalid, who's joining us right now from Nigeria. Ishak, thank you for being with us. Um, thank you, you, it's a pleasure. Could you please tell us first about this challenge? It's quite interesting when I was reading about it. And how popular is it in Nigeria? Well, basically, um, TikTok generally is quite popular in Nigeria, especially among young people. Um, It is thought that tens of millions of Nigerians are using uh, TikTok, the social media app. And this particular challenge, known as Invisible Challenge, is, is, um, you know, it urges users to film themselves um, naked and then use, you know, a process known as invisible body filter to replace their body with a blurry background. So this will now 
make them unidentifiable. But now officials are saying that um, some attackers are now attaching some links to videos which they claim, if downloaded, they can unmask those blurry pictures so that the you know users can see the actual naked pictures. And through these, the victims, I mean, now will have um, their devices, mobile phones, and also computers infected with this malware. And then the implication of this is that their data is then stolen, including passwords and financial records. So the officials here are now saying that the um, users of TikTok, especially those participating in these um, challenge known as the invisible challenge, should be wary. But Ishak, I'm not much of a trend follower, but in my head, I'm just thinking, who are the people who are doing this challenge? And um, have there been any reports that their security has been compromised? Well, basically, these people, uh, young people, um, teens in their things mostly, so they do it for fun, you know, and the attackers are now luring them, you know, to, to trick them into believing that they can actually see the original pictures. And that's exactly what happens. And now the authorities are saying that this is potentially damaging. We have not heard of uh, individual reports yet, but um, it is believed that many people have fallen victims, particularly, I mean, potentially not only in Nigeria, but even beyond the borders. And then um, apart from the financial records and also passwords that um, victims could lose to these hackers, um, officials are saying that this uh, process is also capable of collecting screenshots and recordings and, and of, of uh, mobile phone users. So this is quite dangerous, according to the authorities. And they're saying that people should be conscious of their, um, you know, cybersecurity, password, um, hygiene practices, and also trying to avoid any suspicious links. But Khalid, uh, what does it mean for TikTok? Because we've seen that just last month, two TikTok stars in the northern part of the country were sentenced to whipping um, after they used social media to mock government officials. And that has raised a lot of questions about the relevance of the TikTok in the country. Yeah, exactly. This will make many people cautious about TikTok, but I don't think it's likely to reduce followership. Although, I mean, it, it's likely, of course, okay. uh, to make people wary um, generally, but um, many people are now joining the, I mean, the app. So okay. a lot of people are being wary about of this. All actually. right, Ishak, thank you so much for joining us on this story. That is Ishak Khalid, our correspondent from Nigeria. You've been with the World Business Report. Thank you for being with us. This program has been produced by Mark Syriot and Olivia Wilson. See you next time. Namaste. Whatever you're looking for in a podcast, the BBC World Service has something for you. From untold legends, Aura, tracing the story of a gifted black sportswoman's struggle for recognition in segregated America. Aura was an athlete at a time when the world wasn't really paying attention to African-American athletes. The Coming Storm, investigating the rise of the QAnon conspiracy theory threatening American democracy. A world of parallel realities, an epidemic 
of disorientation. When everything that you thought was true about things is shown to be false, you kind of question everything. To season two of The Bomb, uncovering a gripping true story of espionage at the heart of World War II atomic research. Klaus Fuchs was the perfect spy. He'd given the Russians the plans to the plutonium bomb. This was going to change the world. You can download and listen to Untold Legends, The Coming Storm and The Bomb in full now wherever you get your BBC podcasts.